the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flash over substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and Ph.D. with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. And welcome today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick, and my co-host, Larry Bush, and I have a great show for you tonight. We're going to start with a very special guest. Larry, who do we have on the line tonight? Yes, Wendy. Dr. James Tour is a synthetic organic chemist from Houston, Texas, who is a professor of chemistry. He's also a professor of of computer science and a professor of material science and nanoengineering at Rice University. Professor Tour has over 740 research publications and over 150 patent families. His work has been cited in over 117,000 times, and he's been named one of the 50 most influential scientists in the world today by the bestschools.org and listed in the world's most influential scientific minds by Thomson Reuters. So welcome to the program, Professor Tuart. Thank you. I understand that in addition to being one of the top world scientists in the area of nanoengineering, I know some of our listeners probably haven't heard that word before, you've also developed a science curriculum for K through 12 children that has been the most widely adopted program in Texas, sort of as a complement science instruction. Let's hear a little bit about that. Okay, well, we developed a, a, a system called NanoKids, uh, which was for instruction, but then we, we also developed Dance Dance Revolution and Guitar Hero for scientific concepts, where I took 7th and 8th, 6th, uh, 7th, and 8th grade textbooks and, and uh, put reduced each chapter to a few key bullet points and then put that to Dance Dance Revolution, uh, uh, rock, pop, and rap music, and uh, uh, then the patterns, because it's repeated over and over again, the kids just get it. And it, it just really took off. Uh, past, uh, Professor Tour, I know your faith in God is strong, as is mine, and that you have said the more you have discovered about the complexities of the human cell, the more confirming your faith has become in God's existence. Could you explain to our audience what you have discovered in your research that strengthens your faith in God? Yeah, when, when, when I build a biological system, when I look at a biological system, I don't build biological systems, when I look at them, when I observe them, uh, uh, I compare them to where we are with nanotechnology, where you, you build molecules to try to get them to interact to form systems. We're nowhere close. Human beings have no idea how life started. If people say they know, 
they're wrong, they don't know. And all it takes is asking them a few questions and everything begins to fall apart. We don't know how to make the four classes of compounds that are needed for life uh, uh, using techniques that would be available on a prebiotic earth. So the carbohydrates, the lipids, the, uh, uh, the, the nucleotides, which are like the RNA and DNA and the proteins. We don't know how to make those. And, and, and certainly not in chiral form. And even if we could, even if I gave you all of those, and I said, okay, now just build a cell, just a very, very, very simple cell. We already know how simple a cell can be. The simplest the cell can be, we already know because it's been calculated. We know what elements are needed, what parts are needed to keep a cell operating. That's already been calculated by biophysicists. And so if I give you all of these pieces, can you build the simplest of cells? And the answer is no, not even close. Now, even if I gave you these in polymerized forms, even if I gave you all the background that you needed for, for uh, uh, all the information, so, so DNA, RNA, that's an informational code. The order in which these are arranged are a string, a code. Even if I gave you the code in any order you wanted, and I said, go ahead, take these pieces and build a cell, nobody would know how to do it. So we are clueless on the origin of life. Human beings do not know how life was created, how life was created, uh, uh, originally. So, so going, going from, from chemicals to a living system, we have no idea how that was done. There's a lot of speculation, but all of the speculation doesn't even work because it can't be reproduced, not even close in a laboratory, even if you're given all the pieces. I'll just give you a dead cell so everything's in place. The cell just died. Bring it back to life. Boom, you can't do it. So, so there's something mysterious about life, and there's something hard to figure this out. And it doesn't mean I would never say that, I w- I would never say that we will never know. All I can say as a scientist is today we're utterly clueless, and the target that we're trying to reach trying to figure out how to make life is nowhere close. I, can, I know we're not going to get it tomorrow. And you say, how do you know that we're nowhere close? And because you, what you do is you track your progress in going toward the target. The target is a living cell. But what happens is the complexity of the cell gets more complex every year. Not that the cell changed, but because we understand more about the cell and how this thing works and the complexity of it, that it's not just a massive protoplasm. This is a factory. This is amazing layered systems upon systems to get a cell to work. So when you look at the target, you say every year we get further from the target because the target gets further away. So we know we're nowhere close to to figuring this thing out. Dr. Tour, why do you think that there's such a sort of split in viewpoints within the scientific community? And and I say split, I really mean it's weighted very heavily in favor of the secular explanations, which, as you're pointing out, really don't hold anywhere near the sway of the Christian explanation. I mean, has there been any movement within the scientific community to understanding and appreciating that the reason we can't figure it out on the secular side is because God is the one that created it all? Yeah, well, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I love him more than anything else in the world. Jesus is the best in every way. But I cannot, as a scientist, say that the Christian view is, is scientifically correct, because we have no way to measure that. But what I can say about the scientific view is that this has moved into textbooks. So, so scientists will make claims in their papers that have no base 
and, and, and being factual based on the data that's in it. Then they will report it to the press. The press will ramp this up by an order of magnitude. Then this gets into textbooks and it's accepted and you have generation after generation being taught that you can have small molecules in some pond, a few flashes of lightning hit it and you get some cells and those cells then developed into larger organisms that come crawling out of the pond. And that model, that primordial soup model that I just told you is not just in sixth grade textbooks. It is in graduate textbooks, graduate, not just undergraduate, but graduate textbooks in the sciences. And so that's how bad it's become. So this has been propagated and people feel that scientists know, but scientists don't know. And so when I started looking into the data, I said, scientists don't know this in their own data. Don't allow them to say what they're even saying. So, so that's what's happening. And yes, it, it, I mean, if you, if you were to speak to academicians, it'd be 99% of the people would, would go to the materialistic model of this primordial soup model, but there's no base for it. And you ask them for the ex- explanation of how this occurs or on what basis do they have that and everything falls apart it just falls apart and so they, 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 they this is what we're up against wow it's my understanding professor tour that the nanomachines you are working on may one day be used to kill cancer cells and super virus cells such as MRSA that have developed resistance to antibiotics and traditional treatments can you explain how this technology you are developing will work Yes, we first made nano cars. These are little cars. They have four wheels and, and a little motor that you could put in them. And these are Faringa motors, and, and they're, 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 you shine a light on them, and they just spin in one direction to push these things along. And uh, they'll spin 3 million rotations per second when you shine this light. And you can park 50,000 of these cars across the diameter of a human hair. Now, we took just the motor, and we put a peptide on it, which is a, a, a short protein. And... and uh, uh, so it will recognize a particular cell surface, say a particular cancer cell type. So then it locks it to the surface. And then we shine a light and these little molecules start spinning. These little motors start spinning and they drill holes in the cancer cells to kill them. We can do the same with super bacteria, which are slated to kill 10 million people a year by the year 2050 because the antibiotics aren't working anymore. Uh, and we, got, we have all these drug-resistant strains. But what happens is with these nanomachines, this is a mechanical effect in killing, not a chemical effect. So they can't stop the mechanical effect. So it drills holes into them and kills them. So we've, we've just demonstrated this across a whole host of bacteria. Yeah, you know, Dr. Tour, this is really interesting information, and uh, we could listen to you forever. We only have about a minute left, but where can people go to find out a little bit more about your work and what you're up to? Uh, I have... I have a YouTube channel called Dr. James Tour for Dr. James Tour. Dr. James Tour. You can see a bunch of my videos on YouTube. Uh, my professional website is J M Tour. James Mitchell Tour. J M Tour dot com. J M Tour dot com. Or just Google Jim Tour. It'll come up, and you can read a lot about what we're doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Larry and I are going to kind of finish the show, the first segment off, just kind of chatting about this. But we really appreciate you coming on. We do. You know, Thank one you. Of the things we, we, one of the things Larry and I try to do every week is, well, at least I do on my part, is try to find kind of a silver lining to everything we discuss. And, you know, knowledge is power. That's going to be my silver lining theme of the first half of the show, because as much as scientists disagree, 
there's also a lot that science does agree on. And let's seize upon that and sort of work together to see if maybe there isn't some common ground that we can come to. And of course, that that always makes sense when we talk more about how you have people that are Christians and are also scientists like Dr. Tor. So we are going to take a short commercial break, but you are not going to want to miss the very lively, interesting and provocative conversation we're going to have on the other side. So please stay with us. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick, and it's time for Larry Dershman and I to shake out some of the most sensational news stories of the week, which is always tough to do because we usually have an abundance of riches to work with. And this week, of course, is no exception. One of the stories that's gained a lot of traction, no pun intended when you hear what it's about over the course of the last week, is uh, it's a case about driving and about what kind of a license plate you can have on your car. Now, we go back to this. This this subject sort of cycles through the news every couple of years when some controversial plate makes headlines somewhere. That somewhere this week is Alabama. Alabama has apologized for asking a man to give up his, quote, let's go Brandon license plate. Now, we all know that many letters can't fit on a plate. So part of the interesting uh, aspect of the story is what exactly did he have on the plate? So last year, this man paid $700 to have LGBS space. JB on his license plate. Now, Larry, if that's all I told you, would you immediately know what that stands for? Uh, no, I've been behind many cars and you'll see things you say, is that just a random number or does that make sense? I've, I've done that playing that word game. No, I don't think I would. Would, would you, Wendy? I well, no. And, you know, it, it not, not that, you know, we're not that engrossed in politics, but people that are probably would know what that means. But the question is, how do you prove it? So this man obviously gained a lot of media attention fighting back against this attempted uh, um, to recall the plate. What they basically said is we want to recall the plate, and if you don't turn it in, you're going to be fine. Gave him a certain amount of time to do it. They found this plate to be offensive to the peace and dignity of the state of Alabama. So the original letter said that he has to turn it back within 10 days or else he gets fines ranging from 500 to $1,000. Legal registration was reportedly, supposedly going to be revoked. But then what happened after the wave of media coverage? Basically, he was allowed to keep the plate. Um, this man claimed that that F in his license plate did not stand for a curse word, but instead meant, quote, unquote, forget. And then said something that many criminal defense lawyers might say. The state can't prove that it doesn't. <laughs> they can't prove otherwise. And. Can the state prove otherwise? You know, it's an interesting case, Larry, because I've talked to people from other states about this story, and they've shared with me that that license plate is actually not available in their state, which might mean someone already has it. 
Um, but Larry, I mean, this raises issues much broader than just this license plate. And I know that you and your research have found other questionable license plates, whether or not they were issued in different jurisdictions, haven't you? Sure. Uh, just one example in Vermont, they have a uh, database of at least $24,000 combinations, alphanumeric combinations that uh, go back decades that will they will not allow people to use. And uh, here's just some examples that I can read on the radio. It says uh, uh, one was, is felon. They would not allow you to have felon on your license plate. Or how about this? Hit and run. Now, who in the world would ever put that as a license plate? And uh, I can tell you a kind of a really funny uh, story that happened to me. I was working in L.A. for a while, and I had an apartment in the beach community. I won't even name the community because it's a beautiful community. But my license plate was personalized. It said nine lawyer. And so I was only there a couple of days until some, I walk out and somebody had smashed in my front windshield and you could see the footprints on the hood of the car where they literally had put their foot through the windshield. And I'm convinced it is because of that. Somebody didn't like lawyers, I guess. So I de- definitely took that off the car. So this can't have an emotional response. So I can kind of get why they want to be cautious of what people put on their license plate uh, well, designation. It's, it's a great it's a great example. What did the nine stand for, Larry? I'm curious. Uh, you know, that could, well, nine in, in Vietnamese is a lucky number, like seven is to us. And also kind of like oh. uh, like a night lawyer. You know, I do a lot of my work, you know, like I do my work in the day, but at night I'm still working. And so, you so know. It really doesn't matter what the nine stands for. It was the fact that it said lawyer. So, you know, this is an interesting, you know, and you, you asked a great question. Can this story be called vanity for vanity? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, many of us have personal plates, yours truly included, but it's not overtly obvious what my plate says uh-huh. unless you know something about the legal system. Um, so, too, people in other professions, doctors, politicians, have learned the hard way that there is something to this type of a plate. And it's an, also an interesting story you shared because that experience that you suffered with the property damage, that was just in response to the word lawyer. Can you imagine what would be triggered if somebody understood and disagreed with what this plate said. It's kind of like if you had the word Trump on your plate. Can you even imagine? And, you know, it, it brings me sort of full circle to, you know, property damage, um, you know, crimes being committed. That's a very different risk you run than having the DMV revoke your plate and fine you if you don't turn it back. So one's a free speech issue. I guess they're both free speech issues. But to what extent should the state be able to regulate speech on a plate, even if it's, you know, mnemonically suggestive? Right. <laughs> and we're going to call it our story that, too. But what if you drive it across the country? I mean, obviously, this is licensed by the state of Alabama. But should there be restrictions or have you found anything that might say, well, gosh, you know, um, that type of a plate may be legal and acceptable, I suppose, is the better uh, category of word to use, acceptable in one state, but unacceptable in another. Right. You want to find out if the plate is too rude for the road. And uh, ah, each each good, good each state bite. has rules on that. And I, I read about another funny one where this uh, person was very really cut off by this big white brand new Mercedes, and he was almost going into a road rage till he saw the license plate, and it said, "Excuse me." <laughs> and so that kind of cracked him up, and no road rage happened. Uh, but it's funny. Uh, California has also uh, California Code of Regulations, Title 13, Article 3.3, special interest license plate. So we have strong rules here in California. Uh, 
they configuration has, they don't want things that have a uh, sexual connotation, uh, vulgar terms, swear words, uh, misrepresent a law enforcement entity, uh, and things like that. So every state controls it, and I understand why, but sometimes it can be frustrating, I guess, like in the case of this gentleman. Larry, let me add to the analysis. Okay, so we all know that plates are regulated and there's plenty of things you can't put on a plate, whether you want to or not. And that goes both for visually and also, obviously, you have to use one of the the state-issued plates. And also, I almost said verbally, but that's what we do. We verbalize what we think we see on a plate. Here's another layer to this analysis. What about stickers? Now, I grew up, you and I both grew up in the age of bumper stickers, but then they kind of went away. We didn't see stickers for a while. But with the censorship some people are are complaining about online, I don't know about you, but I'm sure seeing a lot of stickers more often than not. Um, One of the places that I see them a lot is at gas pumps. Check, listeners, check to see if I'm right about this. There's more and more special interest political stickers being put on gas pumps. Now, if you put those on cars, I mean, that's your own property, right? I wonder whether or not that is going to be something regulated to. Probably a different story for a different day, because I understand, Larry, you've got more on your docket. Yeah, I sure do, Wendy. And this one is a little bit of a heavy topic. And it basically, we're talking about, uh, you know, what's really going on uh Worldwide, So, again, you're taking a very zoomed-out view of, of what's going on. And uh, everybody's talking about this so-called Great Reset. And it's something we have to pay attention to. But I want to focus in on one thing. And it's actually, it's a statement that, uh, that President Biden made over there in Brussels just this week. And he was talking about, you know, the uh, Ukrainian-Russian war and how Europe, and United States may experience food shortages. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a frightening thing to think about, a food shortage. And just so you know, again, this is a little bit heavy, mass starvation has been used throughout history. Now, you have things called famines, right, where it doesn't rain. And even the Bible talks about that. You have to store up grain and everything for the big famine because there's no rain and doesn't produce crops. But it has been used, unfortunately, uh, what... It's been called starvation crimes, and there are several reasons for that. Extermination or genocide, I mean, these, these are horrible things, people, and I apologize, but we have to know about this. They use it for control through weakening a population. They've used it in the past for gaining terri- territorial control or flushing out a population or for punishment, material extraction or theft of, you know, somebody, a country uh, has a great resources you want to take it over so you starve the people they've used it uh, for uh, extreme exploitation of people or, or for provisioning war and uh, and also look at this one comprehensive societal transformation does that ring a bell but anyhow the great reset so uh just so we know now this is just i'm just hypothetical here it's hypothetical but you know farmland is quite rare, quite expensive, and it's, it's quite needed for a population. Well, guess who owns the most farmland right now in the United States? This is from Forbes. Bill Gates. Who? Bill Gates owns the most farmland in the United States. Now, he's part of that billionaire group, so something to be cautious about. And then the second thing I want to quickly mention is Governor Newsom. He, he followed the legacy of Governor Brown before him, where they're literally draining, and I've checked this in several sources, up to 50% of our reservoirs, flushing that water out into the ocean under the guise of saving a two-inch, uh, it's they call the Delta smelt. It's a little tiny fish. And 
Central Valley, those poor farmers are starving. And we have to be cautious and cognizant. So I would just say, don't don't get panicked, but we need to all be prepared for what if there was, even if it's a famine, to prepare for food and water for our families. We will be talking more about that in the future as it comes to uh, conservation, deep pantry, flashback, March 2020. Okay, think about that when you wanted to stock up and not have to go to the store. But we want to thank you all for joining us this week. Larry, you're going to get a job as either a uh, horse racing announcer or an auctioneer. You were, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk that fast, but that was a lot of great information in a short amount of time. Thank you for that, and thank you to our listeners. Have a wonderful, safe weekend. Join us next Saturday night for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with the silver lining. Have a great week, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.